Chapter 10, The War Between Human and Monster. War is inevitable, and there can be no one to stop it. The treaty, though signed, has failed its intended duty, to save and bring peace to all from both races. Sadly, chaos and minor bloodshed have prevented and fought against this, and now our heroes are on the run and separated from a dangerous and horrific mob, armed and dangerous. And yet, not all have been subjected to this madness. No, because this is where I tell you about the final two heroes, Dedication and Pride. Deep within the heartthrob manor, a mighty palace nestled between the forest and the ocean, a prince is left disturbed. Pride, the golden soul, or Emerson, I don't care what you call humans at this point, I'll leave a list at the end, studied the newspaper delivered to him from outside. He inspected in great detail the shocking message before him. He let the paper back onto the table and folded his hands concerned. His servant, Jenny, carried in his breakfast and set it down. However, upon looking at her master, she saw something was wrong. You seem distressed. Is everything all right, sir? Emerson looked down at the photograph taken of a blurred battle between a white sword and a black and pink glaive. My brother is finally in danger again, and I cannot help him soon enough. Pride stood up, wiping his lips from his meal. Thank you, Jenny. That will be all for today. Jenny hurried after her boss, frantically grabbing his clothes he ran. What are you doing? Your father instructed me to head to Hades with my father. My brother's in danger, and I will help him this day. Pride suddenly clicked something on, and his suit and tie shredded away to reveal a sparkling gold suit of armor, a diamond-encrusted crown, and even shinier steel boots. Pride turned to face his assistant. You tell my father that Hope needs help, and I've gone to help, alright? Jenny was powerless to do anything, but she nodded. Thank you, Jenny. I knew I made the right choice hiring you. Unmistakable loyalty. <laughs> Pride dashed forward and clicked his steel boots together. The folded edge, neat and pointed, connected to form a drill on his feet. He tunneled deep into the earth and set off towards Mount Ebbett. Things were looking bleak for the monster's side. They had been pushed into his standstill between the foot of the mountain and the humans. A brave few chose to venture back down and fight the crowd. Since their departure, no human had come into sight of their path. Tired and sweating buckets from the sun and the climb, the tired pack stopped to get a breather. Asgore observed the rising sun, and he wore a steeled and determined look on his face. He summoned his red spirit hand and ventured back down the mountain. Many cried out for him not to go back, but he dismissed them, like a dragon would a flea. He turned the corner of the mountain and saw the humans advancing, leaving behind wild piles of white dust, LV. Asgore was shocked by the carnage, and all thoughts left his mind. The sky seemed to darken, and Asgore felt a strong wind howl from behind him. He whisked and waved his spear wildly about, and then took a battle stance. If I am to die this day, he thought, then let it be with honor and with courage. Asgore ran forward, his great padded feet surprisingly shaking the ground. He jumped and then roared with the might of a hundred souls as he plunged his spear down. Back within the city, Hope danced back and forth, parrying the glaive's reach and striking with a cobra's speed. Despair felt rage seep through his mind, and he let it loose without hesitation. Why can you not simply accept your fate and die? Despair yelled. But Hope grinned through his goggles. Read my name, big guy. Maybe that'll help you a little bit. Despair's eyes blazed with strange symbols, and he surged forward, blades striking from everywhere. Hope suddenly realized what he had stumbled to. He held up his shield, but this time he was blasted backward and into a nearby building. Love gasped and then ran after him, beyond despair or hatred's reach. She dashed up the stairs with record-breaking speed until she finally reached Hope, dazed and injured. You're hurt. 
Let me help. Hope Helen is good, Anne, shaking his head. I'm fine, Elise. Come on, we need to get out of here. Love nodded, and then the two made their way back down the staircase and out towards Mount Ebbett. But as they exited the building, Hope turned, hearing a loud roar. He looked to the girl supporting him and then sighed. Elise, Love turned toward him, her eyes shining. Yeah? Hope used his blade, summoning some of Guidance's magic, and he shoved her through a portal as Elise witnessed a massive wolf break out of the building behind. Then the portal closed, leaving Love alone in the cavern in Mount Ebbett. She sat up, dazed, and then she stopped. Oh no, I need to get out. No, 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 no. She sprinted back through, not even heeding the purple stone walls or the open door out into the snow. But it was after reaching her home that she saw him. It was Hope. A little taller, a little stronger, but it was him. She knew that whatever happened next, she couldn't help anymore. She walked over, her eyes beady and red again. Hope turned around, grinning. Hey, what's the matter, Elise? You act like you've seen it. Elise sprinted forward, squeezing Hope as tight as she could. I'm never, never letting you go again. Hope looked down, confused, but he still wondered what made her say that. However, Hope smiled warmly all the same and hugged her back. If you won't leave me, then I won't leave you. Part 3. The Finale Two hours until the beginning. Last entry. And I thought you knew what you were doing. Where's the prisoner? I'm trying, but I, but even I can't attend to your every whim. This is your fault, you know. Without the scientist, he escaped. And who said that was a good idea? Enough. I grow tired of your bickering. Just find them. You don't seem very wisdom-filled or chatty anymore. Care to share? No. I should have never taken you in. You're too disruptive and unfocused. At least I would have made a better... Quiet. They're here with us. N entry underscore 5038G. Chapter 11. Hope. Hope sat up, dazed and confused. He stood seated high above on Mount Ebbett's lookout point. From up here, you could see the city, the mountains, and even the battle raging below. Hope started forward, but he was soon stopped by a growling. It sounded like the gnashing of chainsaws and blades, and when Oliver turned around... He was met with despair's true form. A massive, jagged wolf stared over Hope, its ribs and spine showing through its coarse and thin hide. Hope drew out his shield, but Nightmare swatted the shield away into the cavern behind. Hope looked in shock into the cave, and suddenly, as if the situation couldn't get any worse, everything started quaking violently. Hope seized the opportunity, dashing past Nightmare and into the cave, grabbing his shield and rolling back to face his foe in the nick of time, as spikes drove themselves into the shield again and again. Oliver held his ground, but the earth would not stop shaking. Finally, Hope backflipped, landing opposite the room from Nightmare. It roared and shrieked at the same time, then charged forward, and Hope closed his eyes, ready for death. But thankfully, luck was on our hero's side, and when Nightmare stepped across, a spindly, wiry arm shot up from the cave and grabbed Nightmare by the throat, choking it tight. The wolf-hawk hybrid shrieked and jerked violently, but the creature, now known as the Watcher, crawled back down, its worm-like singular eye blazing and dragging Nightmare with it. The cave shook harder than ever before and Hope struggled to keep his footing. But from out of nowhere, past the carnage, Hope could hear voices, his siblings' voices. Hope looked across the chaos to see Guidance and Purity, scared and looking for their brother. Hope tried to run around the chaos, but to no avail. And it was then that Hope heard, heard a very distinct sound. The sound of a whirring drill. He grinned wildly and backed up as Pride tunneled straight through the cave, a shaft of light pouring after him. 
Pride's drill boots slammed into the Watcher and Nightmare, throwing them all down in the caves. Pride scrambled for something to grab onto, but his gloved hand folded around something. And Hope, grinning all the same, spun around and threw Pride back up toward the surface. Guidance and Purity both tried to reach, but Hope saluted them and plummeted into the darkness, forever lost. Purity collapsed to her knees, sobbing into her hands. No, he's... he's really gone. Guidance hung his head low and sighed, letting a single tear escape. Ruby... I don't know how to say this, but he's dead. I know. Purity stood up, grabbing her notebook again. And we... no... I was too slow to do anything. Guidance tried to comfort his sister, but all at once, hatred stood in the cave entrance. Well, that's pathetic to watch. Purity's tears stopped flowing and replacing them were flames. Hatred stifled a laugh. What? I'm right, aren't I? Purity charged forward, her hammer and sickle out wide. Hatred summoned their sword, but Purity smashed the sword into toothpicks, then spun and kicked Hatred backward. Hatred stumbled and then tripped over a single root. Purity charged forward, blind and unorganized rage in her eyes. Hatred screamed, and Purity swung her hammer, hitting Hatred square in the face and sending them to their doom. Hatred, too, fell to their death. Guidance stood back, a mixture of shock and wonder in his eyes. You... you could do that? Purity huffed, sheathing her weapons. Yes, of course. There are things that I can do that you can't remember. Deep within the underground, carnage was everywhere at the mouth of the Great Cavern. The Watcher, injured and writhing in agony, limped its way through the purple-textured walls of the cave and back towards the snowy forests. But, behind the wretched nightmare, whose heart had been torn asunder, a dazed and confused hope sat up, clutching his head. His helmet lay beside him, the goggles cracked in some spots. Hope rubbed his spiky brown hair and sat up looking all around. Huh? Hey, what happened? And exactly where am I now? Hope stood up, looking back up toward the sunlight pouring through. He smiled upon seeing it and realizing he was alive. But on the other hand, he couldn't scale the walls of the cave. They were slick with moss and loose footholds. Hope shook his head and grabbed his helmet, turning toward the caverns. Well, it's like my old dad said before he croaked. Hope turned back to the tunnel, and he swore he could hear his siblings far above. If you want something, you gotta work for it. Hope wore his classic grin and set off into the unknown, his cavalryman's blade drawn and illuminating the darkness within. Things were about to change in the underground. Forever. And the best was yet to arrive, trust me, as your narrator. Pride stared out over the hole and sighed. I couldn't... No, that wouldn't work. For the past few minutes, as Guidance and Purity had left a fight, Pride had undergone various scenarios of saving his brother. However, he could not find one that succeeded. Little did he realize this was not his fault. As fate would have it, Pride would not discover a way to save Hope. Emerson removed his crown and sighed, admitting defeat. Fare thee well, brother, at least until we shall cross paths again. Pride looked for a second longer, and then turned, and strode back out into the blinding sun. And on that day, the sun shone brighter than ever before, beating down on the weary and tired monsters and humans. Many had given their lives for nothing, and none would soon forget this day. The day that nothing was sacrificed, and nothing was gained. Chapter 12. Dedication. Three hours before the conflict. The sun shone through the trees, and the dew rested gently on the grass. And deep within the forest outside the city, a small log cabin rested in the clearing. 
notch clearing, as some called it. And within this hand-assembled cabin, seated dedication, a sturdy, well-built human. Though his age was higher than hope, he was not older than him. Benjamin sat deep in thought, his nail gun and hammers resting by his side. As a construction and foreman, Dedication was extremely proud of his work. He had finally saved up enough money to build this log cabin and get away from the city. Dedication rested peacefully, reading one of his favorite books, 20,000 Leagues Beneath the Sea. You see, Dedication was, as some called him, great of arm but weak of head. And he was proud to accept this. Great of arm but weak of head. In other words, he wasn't the brightest tool in the shed. Thankfully, with some spare time, he grabbed as many books as he could, and the smile on his face was that of amazing and powerful wisdom. Dedication walked back outside, tending to a small chicken coop he had purchased, and, it, and even some birds. But finally, if anything it tried to get into or near the pen, small security had been placed down. A signal would go off and fire a blank from a shotgun to scare away any predators. Ben leaned back to admire his work and then turned around to go collect some fresh strawberries from his garden. Dedication, unlike Hope or Pride, took after his mother or father in the gardening and building area. However, as much as he would have liked to think that he was the best of both worlds, he suddenly felt the ground shaking and he heard another bang from out front. Oh, now what? Dedication stormed outside, but this time, he saw a large crowd of monsters running through his yard and shooting back at something. He instinctively hit the ground and readied his hunting rifle. But then, Dedication saw humans, many of them, attacking the monsters. Benjamin was confused by his action, but he shook his head and slowly inched his way backward when he heard a yell from the monster crowd. It was a voice of purity, his sibling. Dedication felt the ruby was always very distant from him in pride, but family was family. He poked his eyes up to see Puri with a gash on her left arm and limping slightly. And Dedication's anger blazed against the people, and he spotted it, a small hammer and hatchet on the ground. Dedication charged forward, swinging his mighty hammer around and firing off his nail gun. Get on my property, all you stupid people! He blurred at once, and the humans and monsters were so terrified by this bloodied, muddy creature running towards them that they all screamed and ran away. All that is, save for Puri who had realized where she was, and was now laughing uncontrollably. That was awesome, she said, wiping tears away. Dedication grinned and wiped the dirt and grafts off his shirt and face. And how's my big sister doing, huh? Dedication picked up Purity and squeezed her tight before setting her down again. I'm good, Ben. Nice to see that the farm's in good hands. Wait, what's with all that? Oh, yeah, I had, um, Bear came out for the last time last night. Decided to place down some traps, and, um, he won't be doing any more harm. Purity's eyes widened. Wow, talk about thinking smarter and not harder. Dedication nodded until he heard Guidance's voice calling for Purity. Ruby turned toward the trees and then looked up to Dedication. I'll be back when all this is over, okay? Dedication nodded. I'll cook up some savory from you, don't worry. Purity hugged her brother one last time and then ran off down the dirt path. Dedication sighed, then grabbed his hatchet out of the ground and slung his nail gun onto his belt, walking back inside. Chapter 13, War, Present Moment At the foot of Mount Ebbett, war was raging. Basically, this looked like a cartoon fight with all the smoke and such mixed with a piranha swarm but on land. 
Humans and monsters everywhere were fighting, killing, and falling. There was no winning side here. It was just bloody, horrible carnage. The humans fought back with guns, swords, and spears, but the monsters pushed through using magic and powerful spells. The humans, though they had strength in numbers, were losing quickly. They knew their simple weapons and items couldn't defeat these great beasts and heroes of old. One human, a firefighter named Thomas, fell down and scrambled for him for his sword. But as a powerful monster rose up and crushed the axe he was reaching for, Thomas fell backward and raised up his arms in fear. And then a single golden arrow pierced the air and killed the monster, dissolving it into dust. Thomas withdrew his arms and saw a cloaked, armored figure holding a golden bow and their hand outstretched. Come on, pal. Let's get you out of there. Thomas grabbed the figure's hand, and he was greeted by the seven wizards, the most powerful humans in the world. They all raised up their weapons against the monsters, and the tide of the fight shifted drastically. Monsters were running, even dying, but amidst the heat and the stench, Asgore still fought, defeating and knocking away humans. They were still his friends, and he brought no harm to them, knocking them away into safe areas. But then, Asgore's eyes rested on the wizards. His face wore a steeled expression, and his head tilted down, then back up with a face guard. The oldest of friends were now enemies, and Asgore battled like he had never before. He was blocking two of the wizards with his spear in one hand, and strangling another. The wizards tried their hardest, and eventually, the king of monsters was brought to his knees. His breathing became calm and rested. The wizards stood victorious in their efforts, and held up the king for all to see. The monsters, with no other way out, laid down their arms, and the wizards smiled to see no resistance. They were kind in their march up the mountain, and they healed all of the monsters using their rare gifts. So finally, by the time they had reached the mountain top, the wizards saw three children sitting out and overlooking the view. The wizards stopped, and their leader, Perseverance, leaned down. Children, what are you doing? Guidance turned to stare Perseverance directly in the eyes. So you won. Congratulations to you. Guidance turned back toward the sunset, and Perseverance stood up again. Very well. Wizards, it's time. The wizards led the monster into the cavern, where there was now a grand hole in the floor. Perseverance nodded. This will do. He turned to the monsters who were fully healed, and rested. Monsters, we do this not in vain, but to protect ourselves and to protect you as well. Another wizard used their magic to create a stairwell down the jagged edges of the cave and into the darkness below. Please, use the stairway and you will find a new world for yourselves. The monsters, in agreement, began a slow descent down into the depths. The wizards looked on and finally let loose Asgore and his wife. Please, your majesty, if you would. Asgore wrung the parts where he had been bound, and he led his family down into the caves below. He gave one last glance back to the wizards, and then continued after the others. The wizards then looked to each other and held out their hands. They created, from light, a glowing barrier separating the underground from the surface. And this barrier extended all around Mount Ebbet and the cave systems within. Thus, the wizards, tired from the powerful spell they had casted, turned home to rest and continue with their problems at hand. Pride looked back at the barrier, and then it to the wizards. Hey! he yelled. The wizards stopped, and then turned to face Pride. Your Highness, what is the problem? Pride stormed up to them and stopped inches from Perseverance's face. My friend is trapped under your little spell, and I demand that you set him free. The wizards looked to each other, and then to Pride. We, um, apologize, Your Majesty. But once that barrier has been created, the wizards began their walk down the hill. 
It's a one-way trip. Your friend cannot return. Pride's arms drooped to his sides, and he wore a look of defeat on his face. And that means... Guidance nodded solemnly. Purity bowed her head in respect, and then walked back down the hill, following after the wizards. Pride followed after a short time, and then Guidance, before falling, looked back to the hole. He had been bluffing. He could sense Hope's presence. Faint, but there. Please, Ollie. Guidance walked back down after his siblings. Please, find a way back. And thus, the war had been drawn to a close. Chapter 14. Hope. A couple of years later. Hope journeyed through the caves, his sword lighting the way with each step. Whoa. Talk about cave systems. Hope examined ancient textures, vines, and patterns on the walls, until finally he tripped and rolled down a hill, tumbling down a shaft-like tunnel and falling into fresh, powdered snow. Oliver sat up, again dazed and confused, and he brushed the snow out of his hair. He looked all around and saw the beautiful pine trees and snow. He stood up and sheathed his sword. A vast, beautiful forest lay before him, snowy, and in the center of the valley sat a frozen lake with small islands within it. Hope walked all around the somehow already snowy path, and he observed the gorgeous stars in the sky and the subtle little details everywhere. Hope then screeched to a halt upon seeing monsters sending down tents and fires. He spun around behind a tree and peered out. It looked like these monsters had just gotten here in the caves, but he didn't know how or why. Whatever the case, Hope began following in their steps. He snuck around a campsite and found one of the dead monsters laying under a tarp with others. However, upon closer inspection, Hope found that it was once his friend. The monster was now wearing a snow-white scarf, so Hope decided to take it and wear it in remembrance, leaving his old green scarf. Oliver continued deeper and deeper into the woods until he finally came to a little spot that he enjoyed quite much, and he began to build his home. But after days, nay, weeks of work, his dream home was established. And so seven years into the future, Hope was relaxing comfortably in his cabin, the fire roaring and the candles flickering from the darkness outside. The cold and snowy atmosphere wasn't, as Hope realized, nearly as bad as he thought. Now it happened that over the course of the few years past, Oliver had found many humans passing through the cave systems. Though many had passed his view, none had ever returned from their trips, and Hope wondered why this was. But one cool day in the forest, Hope was sitting back in his usual spot, flipping through his notes and doodles of the humans, when all of a sudden, he heard a twig snap far below the cliff. Hope shifted his seated position and grabbed his spyglass to observe. But instead of one human in his view, he was met with two. One of them, a girl about his age with snowy white hair and a blue and purple hoodie, was walking along with the other, who wore a blue scarf and looked to be padded black and gray armor. Oliver pondered if he should investigate from a closer range, and after a brief moment, he slid down toward them, his notebook in hand. Hope slammed down his boots and skidded just into a small bush off the main path. He looked in through a small pocket of a bush and saw the smaller human climbing on what looked to be a sentry post of some kind. He was laughing, and the other human was looking around the woods, her eyes shining like diamond beacons. Must be siblings, Hope wondered. He felt a strange tingling sensation, almost as if he knew these humans. But Oliver shook the thought loose, started it drawing it and writing down descriptions of what they looked like, and after his work had been done, he slowly backed up, then darted back up the hill and back to his lookout. As he climbed, he recounted every detail of the war from the very beginning. But for some odd reason, the one human girl kept getting stuck in his head and then fading before he could grab hold. 
He climbed back up the hill, his pants and gloves caked with frost, when he flattened down and stopped, ears and eyes alert. He could hear them. The two humans, mind you. They were coming up to his lookout. Hope swung back down, covering his fingers in snow to hide his presence. He bit down in his scarf to stop from yelling, and he looked up to see the humans looking out over the ridge. Whoa, that's so cool, the younger said, leaning out over the edge. The older one smiled. Yeah, it's a real chilling view. The younger human looked up and laughed. Haha, <laughs> uncle's gonna be real mad for you for that one. The older human leaned down and started chasing after the younger. Not if he catches me first, Arno. The human, who Oliver now knew as Arno, ran back down the hill laughing all the way. Hope sighed with his arms on fire and then he looked up, into the eyes of the older human. Hope backflipped up and over the human and landed gracefully behind her, his sword drawn. The human stared for a moment and then one of her eyes glowed blue and she started pulling blue bones from out of the ground. Hope dodged around the attacks and finally spun, tackling the girl. They both rolled down the hill before Hope was thrown down and his sword thudded into the freshly falling snow. Hope looked up, his scarf and goggles making him look like a monster. But the human just sat up and groaned. Uh, you got snow all over me. I hate the fact that it clumps so easily. Hope stood up and grabbed his sword. Who are you? What do you want? The girl stood up, wiping the snow off her hands, and then smiled when she saw him. My name is Alicia, but you can call me Elise. Elise the Skeleton. Hope, who clearly no longer saw her as a threat, sheathed his sword and held out his gloved hand. They shook hands and then started walking towards the town, far off in the distance. Oliver, but you can call me Hope. A pleasure to make your acquaintance, miss. Chapter 15. Aftermath. Current story. The city was partially in ruin from all the fighting and chaos. A few buildings were down, but power was slowly being restored. The Premier Mall, after being accused of broadcasting the threat across the city, was shut down for governmental reasons. It's now being turned into a furniture department. For some, there were celebrations in the city and parties each night, but for others, who missed their monster friends, were in grief. Purity, who had been going for her morning jog, had seen some posters of campaigns and parties. Neither sat well with her because they only brought back hope. Purity continued jogging through her regular route until she stopped outside the garden square and saw giant stone pillars with what looked to be names on them. Ruby walked over, taking out her earbuds and looking over the names. There were human names, monster names, and all in between, don't ask. But among the names, Ruby's eyes brimmed with tears when she saw the name Oliver Sparks written on the wall. She wiped the tears back and started back home, but her walk slowly turned into a jog, and that jog became a sprint the entire way back. She hated that people were worshipping him, even though they were never supposed to. Guidance was back in Hope's apartment, going through his wreckage and anything that may have been destroyed in the war. Thankfully, most of his stuff was intact. The only major damage was to the alarm clocks in his trash can. Guidance rolled his eyes and started packing up his things. It was then that he heard Purity step in and heard her drop her phone. What's going on here? Guidance stood up and shifted his hat. I thought after this whole charade, why not give this apartment away? Now hear me out. I don't want to leave either. But, and Guidance sighed. Things just aren't the same without Hope. Guidance then turned to Purity. I paid a special friend of mine to look after Hope's things with great care. I even packed some of your stuff. Guidance grinned as Purity slowly began to smile. Because I'm inviting you to come live with me at Topsail Island. It's tropical weather all year round, and you'll get to see pride and we can FaceTime dedication whenever you would want. Purity smiled, her eyes shining with hope. You really mean that? Guidance nodded and held out his arms. Welcome to the biz, sister of mine. I think you'll fit in nicely. Purity ran forward, laughing from joy, and squeezed Guidance with all her might. In the days to come, many humans would visit Mount Ebbett. 
They would take photos of the barrier, selfies, or they would even use a splendorous mountain as a hiking trail. It didn't matter what they used it for, really. But since the war, many children had gone missing, and only children. Rumors began to float around that those who went up Mount Abbott would never return. Some brave souls chose to test this theory, and they would soon become the children of the prophecy. But Narian, what is this prophecy I've been talking about? Well, let me explain, please. The prophecy was set in stone many years before the war. If we're told that in the monster's time of need, when all seemed bleak and hopeless, seven humans, each with a powerful soul, would shatter a barrier and peace would be restored. Now, after unfolding the events of the war, does this sound so strange? Meh, not really, but it's a cool story to tell. And you might be thinking, wait, narrator, but then what about the seven wizards? Isn't, aren't they the, you know, seven prophesized? Well, no. Because the wizards are already adults. Their human souls are... Eh. I don't really like to get into detail about it. And you may be wondering, whatever happened to dedication or pride? Well, they continued to live their lives as they saw fit. Pride tracked down his jewelry and quarry companies around the world to try and find a way past the barrier. And he has yet to succeed. And dedication remains in his uh, hut, nestled away from the rest of the world, with his peace and quiet and forests to keep him company. So you're probably asking, what happens next? What does happen next? I don't know, that's not enough for me to decide. However, there's always hope. Hope for the future and the riches that it may hold. Riches greater than you could ever imagine of stories untold and waiting to be discovered by someone like you. Credits. Well, that was an emotional roller coaster for all of us. Maybe just me? No? Okay, have it your way. First off, credit goes to my family. Without them, I probably would never have been able to make this whole story on my own. Second, and this is the big one, this is the big, big smackaroonie. I would like to upfront thank Toby Fox, Temi Chang, and anyone else along the way for giving me the inspiration to start this prelude. Again, I didn't publish this because I didn't want to get copyrighted. Big thing. No, no copyright. And last but absolutely not least, credit goes to the soul of love. Uh, Love was not my original character, a friend of mine who I had to pull the plug on. I uh, started using her, that's how I was introduced. Uh, my friend's starting her own YouTube channel soon, I don't know when, and I don't know what YouTube channel. Who is she? Okay, as much as I would love to tell you, I value and respect her privacy wholeheartedly. But anyways, thank you everyone for sticking up with this up and downhill ride, and I hope that you enjoy the rest of your summer. I hate that! Finally, that's over with. God, I cannot keep on hearing myself drone on and on and on. Wait, am I still recording this? Oh, oh, crap. I...